are you doing, Mrs. Tony? No, 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 you can't do this. You can't do this here. Now, now, you must leave now, please. Look, Kashmir Rajneesh, why don't you just chill? No, but still. Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro, and we figure we's a little juice. No, we think the juice. We's the juice. No, 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 we think the juice. No, we think the juice. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Strikes! Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, so yes, it is now time for part four of eight, as we're continuing to count down the top 80 records of 1992. I've got five of these to put out before Santa gets his sleigh up in the air, so let's freaking do this. All right, coming in at number 50 is a band Norman, Oklahoma's own Chainsaw Kittens, which definitely making its debut here on Rock Strikes 10. I had always heard the band name. I don't know if I ever heard any of the records ever prior to listening to this particular album for its possible inclusion here on our 1992 list. The album is called Flipped Out in Singapore. It's their sophomore record. Produced by Butch Vig, by the way, who, of course, that's massive currency to have that guy as your producer in 1992. According to the little blurb that I saw here on the wiki for that particular record, Billy Corgan supposedly talked Butch into producing this album because the offer was there. He was doing Gish at the time, and there you have it. Billy liked it and said, you're going to go produce this band, apparently. So that's how it happened. This album came out on March 10th of 1992. And I enjoyed it. It's right up here in a good spot on this countdown right here. Very much calls to early 90s alternative college rock, stuff like that. But I dig it. I really liked my first listen here of the Chainsaw Kitten. So I'm going to try to play some catch up. But until then, check this one out. My current favorite song off this particular album. And this song is called Never To Be Found.
Kicking off the show here today, that was the Chainsaw Kittens coming in at number 50 on our top 80 albums of 92. And that album was called Flipped Out in Singapore. And you just heard the song Never to Be Found. All right, let's get over to some Liberty City Hardcore. Liberty, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, New York City Hardcore if you live in the real world. And I'm not talking about the loft either. <laughs> yes, okay, so coming in at number 49, we've got... New York City Hardcore Legends, sick of it all, with a yet another sophomore album here on The Countdown. This album came out on October 6, 1992, self-produced. The album is called Just Look Around. I don't have a lot to say about this record. Sick of it all is an awesome band. You should definitely give them a go if you never have. And I think this song is a good representative of that. If you've never heard anything by them, I'm going to go with the title track here on this particular album, just to remind you the name of it over and over again. So here you go. This is Sick of It All, bringing it with Just Look Around. Turn it up. That'll wake you up. Sick of it all right there with Just Look Around from the album of the same name, number 49 here in our countdown. And all the way from the dark, danky rehearsal studios of New York City hardcore bands, all the way over to suburban garages in Anaheim, California, with the debut album by No Doubt. Coming in at number 48 here, their self-titled album came out March 17th, 1992. Produced by a guy named Dito Godwin, who I was like, well, that's a name. I have to click on that link. It turns out, for all you Kiss fans out there, here's a fun tie-in. Dito Godwin produced the Peter Chris Cat 1 solo album. Yes. But no, no, in all seriousness, I don't mean to make fun because if you're going to have a decent career as a producer, he's got a lot of good credits on there. And apparently, I saw that he was a promotions guy for Motley Crue before they went major, so... That guy probably had some good stories. Unfortunately, it looks like he passed away last year. So hopefully he told some of those stories. But back to No Doubt in their first album. I'm definitely a decent fan of this band, at least all throughout the 90s, more so, for sure. Saw them live a bunch of times. Always great live. 
So yeah, first album, not their best album by a long shot, but it's fun. It's it's definitely a true alternative in a sense in 1992 because as one of them put it so well in their own Behind the Music a few years ago, when they put this first record out, it was like illegal to like this kind of music. So I got to hand it to them for hanging in there and then also evolving the sound over time for sure. And this song, as far as I know, I don't recall them ever playing anything live off of this record except for this song right here, which happens to be my favorite song on the record. So here you go to represent No Doubt's debut album. This is Move On. No Doubt right there with their debut album coming in at number 48 here on the countdown. And coming in at number 47 right here is a band, they actually get mislabeled sometimes as a power pop band, but we are sticking with the pop music for a second, but I don't consider them power pop. It's, I don't quite know how to describe it. It's almost just pop rock in its basic sense, but I do have quite a bit of nostalgia for this record, which is probably one of the reasons why it's so high here on the list. And it was definitely a high school record for me, which 
I always think it's interesting that we listen to wistful music when we're still not getting the girl and have songs that reflect that. But I guess there's a little bit of therapy in it as well. But coming in at number 47 right here is the debut album by the Gem Blossoms, New Miserable Experience. A lot of people probably bought this album in 93 or 94, but this album did exist and came out. It made its debut in the summer of 92. I produced by a guy named John Hampton. We're going all over the map here in the States for this episode. I don't play a lot of Arizona bands either. I know they're not from Phoenix, but they're from like one of the other big cities. I want to say like Tempe or something like that, maybe. That sounds right. Anyway, moving on here. You've definitely heard a good amount of this album on the radio. It took three singles to get this album going with Hey Jealousy, which was, of course, a huge song. I still like it. But I'll go with one of the subsequent singles, which is my personal favorite song off of this record. So here you go. This is Jim Blossoms with Found Out About You. some gen blossoms right there i dig it i still bust that album out from time to time i I think it's got some good songwriting on it i like the harmonies i dig it so there you have it 
Gem Blossoms, New Miserable Experience. And getting over here to number 46, back to Seattle, as we've done quite a few times already here on this countdown, but one of the most notable bands to come out of Seattle, in my opinion. A band I definitely woke up to a little bit more, definitely thanks to the Whatever Nevermind sidecast on the Cobras and Fire feed. Thanks, Baco. Got me to reconsider this band. I just, it's one of those bands I just took for granted when they were around, but going back and listening to them, I, I dig the music. So I actually saw this band live at Lollapalooza 96 and definitely very bummed out at the loss of Mark Lanigan this year as well. But yes, The Screaming Trees and their sixth album, Sweet Oblivion, came out September 8th, 1992, produced by Don Fleming. And yeah, I'm pretty positive that if I had a longer history with this album, it probably would have done a whole lot better on the countdown, probably getting into at least the top 30. But it does sit at a respectable number here, and it scored a lot of points. There's just a lot of good records here in 1992, for sure. But yes, Screaming Trees, Sweet Oblivion, I'm not going to play around with this one. I'm going to do the thing I've done already a handful of times, where I'm going to say I can't do a proper 1992 retrospective without including some hits this will be no exception. As much as I like some of the other songs on this record, I have definitely always loved this song from day one, for sure. It is a perfect song. It just has that thing. So here's the Screaming Trees with Nearly Lost You. Like the one you knew before 
Okay, Screaming Trees right there with Nearly Lost You from their album Sweet Oblivion. I actually had to do a take two. I had a false start on that talk up right there. I had referred to them as the Screaming Cheese because I like cheese apparently a lot. My, uh, I'm a cheese goblin. Me and my cat Ripley, we are both massive cheese goblins. So there you have it. So coming in at number 45... An album that was produced by the same guy who had mastered that Screaming Trees record. The final mastering was done by Andy Wallace. This album was produced by Andy Wallace. This album came out just a few days after my birthday, a day before Chris's, on March 17th, 1992. And this band, what was it? This is their like third album? Yeah, yeah third album because they put out two indie releases. And they have been slogging around since around 86 or 87 or something like that. And people considered them at the time an overnight sensation. They were chugging along for five years after their debut. And that's got to feel like 10 when you're hand-to-mouthing it and struggling to make it. So all the respect to Rob Zombie and White Zombie for finally having their breakthrough year in 1992. And I can still remember. It's probably because I had this Headbangers Ball on tape. It was the one with Kiss uh, playing at the Troubadour doing a club show for the kickoff for revenge and they were doing a thing at this point every week on headbangers ball like you know crank or yank or whatever hit or miss so call the 800 number or 900 number probably and give us some money and tell us if you want to see the video or not and i remember specifically white zombie did not win the Cranker Yank contest that week with freaking Thunder Kiss 65, a song that would become a freaking monster starting this year and continues to this day. You hear it every day, even if you're only half trying. So I guess the credit was put on Beavis and Butthead for breaking him. And I can't say that they didn't have like that massive hand in it. I'd love to say it was because they were touring their butts off and they had a decent record to promote here, but it seemed like that was the case. They weren't even tracking well in the spring of 92, but by like summer, fall, something like that, this album was taken off finally. Craziness. It's weird what happens, man. Uh, but yes, this album, I didn't even tell you the name of the album because it's a long title. It's called La Sexarcisto, Devil Music Volume 1. Not Devil's Music. Stop pluralizing things. When it's not there, it's a pet peeve of mine. So... Yes, Lost Exorcisto, Devil Music Volume 1, the third album from White Zombie. Their big breakthrough, like I already said. They were already, like, working so hard. And then when they made it here, or, you know, quote-unquote made it, they tore their butts off even more so on this album and the one after that. So I think they worked so hard and they toured so much. I think between that and, obviously, some of the creative conflicts, that's probably why the band broke up when they did. So, yeah, I was a fan of White Zombie. I became a bigger fan, though, honestly, whenever Astro Creep came out. I thought it was a better record. I still do think it's a better record. And I always give Lost Exorcisto that, like, try. Like, am I missing something here? It's like, no, it's it's just all right, you know? But there's a handful of songs on there that definitely amp this album up. Enough to come in at number 45 here. So there you have it. But I do like a really good deep cut on this album. So instead of playing Thunder Kiss or Black Sunshine, which I was definitely tempted to play Black Sunshine, because I don't think Iggy has any representation in 1992 besides that. But I'm going to go with this one right here, just in case you never heard it. This song doesn't appear on any best of or anything like that, but it's freaking awesome. So I'm playing it. This is Cosmic Monsters Incorporated. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking bookstore...
Okay, a nice juicy deep cut right there by White Zombie. That was Cosmic Monsters Incorporated. I always recognize right there at the very beginning as definitely from a Batman TV episode from the 60s. I'm not quite sure what the other samples are on that. I'm sure there's resources online for you to check it out. I know that he had sampled a lot of Ed Wood movies and Fester Pussycat Kill Kill, stuff like that. But he has always gambled on the fact that people won't come after him. It's pretty crazy, but dig it. All right. So at number 44 here, we have this band that was not even on my radar prior to doing these particular episodes for 1992. This band from Switzerland called Gotthard. Gotthard? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I can't even say the name of the band. I want to say it's Gothard. It's G-O-T-T-H-A-R-D. Sorry, but if you're a fan, I apologize. But I will say, in light of a band that I really like, like a White Snake, not being active at all in 92 and pretty much almost on the brink of maybe even breaking up or going on hiatus, got this band that swooped in right here and filled them a White Snake void. And I dig it. I mean, it mostly gave me White Snake vibes. It's it's you know it's not just White Snake all over like Greta Van Fleet is to Zeppelin, but there was enough of it in there where I was like, man, I, I'm digging this. It kept my attention. It's definitely got that deep purple hard rock bass kind of sound with a little bit of shred going on. And this song right here, I'm going to play for you. Immediately stuck out, and I was like, I'm going to put that one on there. Plus, I have an affinity for the phrase of this song. The song is called Fire Dance. And we played Igor Stravinsky in high school, so it made me think immediately of that. So, yeah, I'm just nerding out here over this band, Gothard, even though I can't pronounce it very well. But uh, my point being is that I was like, yeah, this was my favorite song upon the initial listen, and it gave me a good amount of White Snake vibes on top of it. And then I go and actually look on the credits for the album, and it turns out that Vivian Campbell actually has a guest lead guitar spot on this particular song. So go figure. Not that Vivian ever played on a Whitesnake record, but at least he was in Whitesnake. So that's all I'm trying to say. So I hope you dig this as much as I do. This is Gothard from their self-titled album, by the way, with the song Fire Dance. Enjoy. <laughs>
All right, get down. Yeah, that was Gothard with Firedance from their self-titled debut album right there. Once again, Vivian Campbell playing lead guitar on that particular track. So early on in the countdown, I played something off of Def Leppard Adrenalize, which Vivian Campbell became a member of Def Leppard after the release of that album, but he did the tour for it, but he didn't play on that record. But he played on this record. So Vivian still managed to show up on this countdown. And I didn't even realize it until, like, putting it together. So, that's always fun to run to stuff like that. And coming in at number 43 here in our countdown, this album came out on April 27th, 1992, produced by a guy named Gus Dudgeon. Not Dungeon, but Dudgeon. <laughs> oh, man. I'm having trouble with some my, with my European pronunciations today, so bear with me right here. But we're getting into some XTC right here. One of the great bands of all time. Of course, Andy Partridge, one of the great writers of all time. Dude's got a way with words, and those guys can arrange a song, let me tell you. It's one of those bands that can get away with the real cerebral stuff just because they just craft a pop song so well. Always dug them for that reason, and still to this day. So check it out. I'm going to go with actually the launch single off of this record. I think a lot of people might know the other one, Battle to Peter Pumpkinhead, and that's a great song. Also very on-the-nose, very heavy-handed theme-wise. But let's go with this one right here just because I really dig it. And since the first time I ever heard this song 30 years ago, that little drum intro gives me all of the stuck-with-you Huey Lewis vibes. And it never lets up just in my enjoyment. So here's XTC with The Disappointed. Cause it's the same with a big 
Okay, I need to start slowing down just a little bit here because I'm blazing through these shows. And I did that thing that I did way earlier on the countdown. I failed to mention the name of the record. So, officially, that was XTC with The Disappointed from the album called Nonsuch. There you have it. Okay. <laughs> oh boy, I try not to be one of those bear with me guys, but bear with me. I'm doing marathon amount of shows here this week. So coming in at number 42, uh, another cerebral band, a very... What other big words can I use? Irreverent? I don't know. Witty? Definitely one of those hard-to-categorize bands, or as I like to call them, possibly the whitest band that ever existed. And and I should know. We could smell our own. But, yeah, there's no sense of funk or soul in this band at all. You could even find bands like Gothard. You could find a little bit of R&B influence in there. And that might even be just via their Deep Purple fandom. But... They Might Be Giants always cracks me up because they're just the biggest bunch of nerds. And I say that lovingly, but yeah, it's, there is nothing at all that's funky about this band. <laughs> so, But when, when you're in the mood for something like this, then They Might Be Giants always gets the job done. That's, I, I know like hardcore fans of this band, they will tell you that this is their best album. I would go back and forth between this one and Flood, of course. That's another big record for them. But yes, I'm a pretty decent fan of Apollo 18. This album did come out on March 24th of 92. It was self-produced. Uh, the song I actually really wanted to play, honestly, was Fingertips, which is just a mishmash of like these 10-second songs that they never realized properly, and they just threw it all in one song. And I thought that would have been kind of fun to play, but at the same time, it would have been a pain in the ass to edit it. Or I just maybe I could have gone online and got the one-track version of it, but it's all these separate tracks broken down the CD. But let's go with an actual proper song. Go look up Fingertips by They Might Be Giants. It's a lot of fun. But until then, check out this, the second single off the album. This is I, Palindrome I. Someday mother will die and I'll get the money. some they might be giants right there with i palindrome i from apollo 18 it's a fun record if you're feeling like a little something different there and speaking of which i've given you a lot of different stuff on this episode i did not plan this group of 10 this way on purpose but man you're getting all the variety on this episode and we will continue on here 
with the last band on this particular episode. Coming in at number 41, one of the hardest albums to grade if you're doing the point system. There's a few different reasons why, but mostly why, you ask? Well, because number one, it doesn't stream anywhere, and not that it has to, but I got a feeling that if it did, it wouldn't be just one long continuous track, and I would know where the breaks are, maybe. That's a lot of it when it comes to grading a record. But yes, on my CD, it's always been one continuous track. And I'm stalling here because I bet Randy Brown at least knows what this is. And I bet Baco might too. Got a, got a feeling on that. So I did my best in doing the review. I gave it a, I kind of gave it a base grade and I just put it in where I thought it should go. So yes, coming in at number 41 is Melvin's. This is their fourth studio album, fourth full length studio album i should say that for sure because there was tons of singles and eps between all of that this album was originally called lysol as in the household product lysol then they got slapped with a cease and desist and so old boner records right there that's a fitting name for this kind of a catastrophe so boner records had to go in and put stickers over the word lysol on the cd cover and I guess spray painted or something. I don't know, like the uh, the side of the CD, the, the spine. So then it just became a self-titled album, Melvin's. And then the fans started calling it Untitled. And now with the re-release of this a few years ago on vinyl and other formats, it is now called Lice All, as in lice, as in head lice. So Lice All is now officially the name of this album. But that all being said, this album came out around November of 1992, self-produced, as most of the Melvin's albums are. Uh, Of note, like I said, it's uh, one long, continuous track on the CD. But within it, you'll find a couple of cover songs. Uh, One's one's a flipper song. And the other one is the Second Coming Ballad of Dwight Fry Medley by Alice Cooper. So that's all hidden away towards the end on the record. And one of the only reasons I'm picking this particular song, it's a very short song. This is a two and a half minute song. The main event of the album is about a 10 minute opener. But the last song on the CD, I happen to have the luxury, speaking of editing tracks, I have the luxury of this being separated out and being put on basically a best of of theirs called Neither Here Nor There. It was a soundtrack to their coffee table book from about 20 or so years ago. So I'm going to play you this just for that convenience, and I'm on a time crunch. So here's a little bit of the ending spoiler of the Melvin's Lice All record, and this track is officially called With Teeth.
So in listening to that track isolated from the rest of the album, once again here, I am reminded of a glowing review I could really give this record. When I had it on the stereo back when I was reviewing it for the point system, it just really nails it home that Dale Crover is one of the greatest recorded drummers of all time. His attack just goes right through that recording and it just kicks you right in the ass. Further proof, this album scared the shit out of my cats and they're not affected by most heavy metal records or anything like that. Hardcore punk stuff, whatever, but Dale's freaking drums i think i guess they thought it was like constant knocking at the door or something like that they were just that biting so there you have it melvin's cats hate them (laughs) but all right we've come to the end of this episode we'll be back with the second half of the countdown we're only halfway through got the top 40 left to go and of course some amazing records to talk about keep an eye on that feed because i'm updating it constantly but until then stick around for my better half nola with the plugs and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10 and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have Rock Strikes 10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high quality, soft as heck, next level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris where cinema's trash is treated like treasure, and the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business, Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.